Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. You are listening to Mist Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast, brought to you by Daytona, the UK's premier kart racing venues. Today's episode is called Why Oh Why Did We Record on Bonfire Night? This week, we are taking a look at F1 news and whether or not Formula One needs constant overhaul and revision. I am your host, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens, and I am joined by Matt T-Rambit. What's going on, Matt? Uh, you and Spanners become ever more indistinguishable with that moniker. Very nicely done. Oh, please do not say that. That is absolutely horrific uh, to hear. Uh, first of all, before we uh, get started, I must apologize if you can hear fireworks in the background. Uh, we are recording on Bonfire Night. I don't know whose silly idea uh, that was. So uh, hopefully uh, you, you that doesn't come across in the recording. But if it does, uh, then I'll apologize. Let's uh, let's move on. Uh, I'll tell you that we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We are keeping it clean here so that you can play this with the kids in the background or at work. Matt, what do you say we bring on some guests? I love that idea. First up, we have Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, man? I am going very good, mate. How are you? I am looking forward to tonight. We'll have some conversation about news for once. I normally do the racy stuff, but this will be interesting. Yes. Well, I mean, you've actually brought an opinion to the table, uh, which we're going to... So. Yes. And we're going to be talking about that in uh, great detail a little bit later on. Up uh, first, though, we have Alex Goldschmidt. How's it going? Evening. Evening, Chris. Evening, Matt. Evening, Jeansy. Evening, everybody. Yeah, good to be back on. Yeah, absolutely. We're glad to uh, have you back on. Right, let us get straight into the news. Big Dirty News. Well, this uh, we got we got some breaking news in after we did the show notes and has been added uh, very recently, but it's that Felipe Massa has quit. Uh, Formula One again he will be retiring uh, properly this time we think uh, and that's maybe why the fireworks are going on uh, outside or at least that's what Spanners reckons anyway um, but yeah so Felipe Massa is properly out he will not be driving for uh, Williams next season which is leaving us to question who will be taking that seat Matt? Well of course you know I have long been on the Kubica hype train so I would love to see that happen and it does make a certain amount of sense if one looks at the needs Williams will have in the upcoming season which will be they'll need someone who's a very good development driver as anyone following the course of the past 3 seasons will see their development has been um shall we say haphazard at best or possibly non-existent um And at the same time, they'll need someone who will be a good mentor and benchmark for Stroll as he continues to mature and develop. Because unlike uh, certain other people around his age who came to Formula One, 
he was clearly, uh, I'd say we can all admit now, a work in progress, although he is making progress. So there's that at least. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of boxes to tick for this Williams seat. They need somebody who's of the right age to please Martini's sponsorship. They need someone with good experience that they can uh, develop the car and uh, show Stroll um, the ropes. But they also still need somebody who is with it in terms of the the speed which you would have to say that Felipe is maybe starting um, to lack. So doesn't that basically rule out half of the contenders that have already been put forward jeansy um haven't they said in the last couple of weeks that the age thing isn't as important anymore i swear they said that over the last couple of weeks which well, could be paving the way for pascal verline well it may well be because you know they are running out of options you'd have to say if that box does need ticking surely the only option you have is paul deresta paul or robert but you know joe keeps telling us that the whole robert thing is a complete and utter pipe dream i'd love it not to be i mean I'm, i agree with matt totally i love kubica and i thought he was great when he was around and i'd love to have him back but paul arresta seems like the sensible choice but no one seems to be really talking about him too much he had the test but nothing's been said since you think you'd think if he'd done well at the test it would be noticed quite soon but if they've knocked the age thing away pascal Verline comes back into the throat does he not you you would think so, and you know the the Kubica thing definitely. I have to agree with Joe on that one. I do not think it's going anywhere. Um, really, I think it is just a big choo choo hype train that is chugging along at full pace like the Orient Express. Uh, sorry to crush your dreams there, Matt. As much as I would love it, again, you know, I know it's it's going to be a very popular thing with the fans, and it's an amazing story if it would happen, but I just can't really um, see it happening. So, of course, you've got Verlon in there, but Danny Kvyat has uh, come up as a uh, possible uh, one, and you'd have to say, he'd definitely have the motivation. He'd probably want to, you know, show Red Bull one after being dropped. Do you think Red Bull want to get him in so that someone else can drop him again so that Max can win more races? Well, that is, Max Verstappen can only win races when Kvyat gets dropped. That is a fact. So definitely, it, it, Rebel will, m- might almost pay Williams to take him. But um, I don't know if anyone else has any other thoughts on contenders, maybe people we haven't talked about as much. I think really in terms of Verline, he looks to be more of the... He's he's had running with Salva. He's had running with Mana. The thing is, you've also got to remember, he's a Mercedes junior. And who currently supplies Williams' power units? Mercedes. So I think you could say De Resta. De Resta came back and substituted for Massa for one, was it Hungary, if I remember correctly, and managed to find time and time. I mean, he's been with Mercedes since his DTM days. He's also, you know, he's been in Formula 1 with Force India when they were still powered by Mercedes as well. So I think it's going to be a choice of either De Resta or Verline. And if I was Toto Wolf, I think I might go for the person that's got either a bit more experience or you want a young charger that you want to mould to potentially go into Mercedes at a later date. Isn't Pascal also one of Toto's golden boys as well, along the same uh, ilk uh, as um, Bottas? Ocon, yeah. Ocon and, um, well, when you think about it, both drivers actually graduated into Formula 1 through Formula 3, both powered by Mercedes, power, uh, by engines. And also, considering the fact that Valine hasn't gotten further than I would have thought in the last two and a half, three seasons, having won the DTM Championship back in 2015. Then you get Ocon, who goes in for half a season and comes through and starts whipping Bearline like it's going out of fashion in only half a season of Formula One, which is quite impressive. And also his demeanour. He's a very nice guy as well, Esteban. And that's why he got the Force India drive as well, let's not forget. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big separator was, I think, his attitude and maturity and that was why he got the Force India shot, and he has made the most of it. But it could be lesson learned for Verline, and he is fast, and he was very competitive in DTM. So really what you're looking at once again with Williams, as you would be looking at anyone that wasn't Red Bull, Ferrari, or Mercedes, is what are the intangibles, i.e. sponsorship or money, that is being brought to the table by these drivers. And there you know, who's really going to be able to bring the best overall package? Well, if Mercedes really gets behind Verline, they might get a good deal on engines, which are, will be a good shout even if the regulations change going forward. But beyond that, it, it would seem that Kubica might have the best overall sponsorship package 
And and I heard I had heard, although I do not know the truth of this, that that part of the problem with Kvyat was indeed his sponsorship package or his sponsorship uh, from the Russians was not as robust, or he was having some issues with that um, going forward. So I don't know. I like I like Kvyat in there if it's not going to be Kubica, but I think once again it's probably going to come down more to that basic calculation of sponsorship dollars versus championship points. Okay, so there's plenty of talk on Williams uh, there. Um, But of course, the major news of uh, the week that we were going to headline with and we're going to switch into now is, of course, the quit threat from Ferrari, who don't really like the look of where Formula One uh, is going. Uh, Was it the global NASCAR comment that was thrown around uh, by Sergio uh, and... To be honest, it's not the first we've heard of it. We've heard a lot of teams threaten to do this in the past and nothing's really uh, come of it. I mean, first of all, just around the table, how seriously uh, is, is, is this threat being taken? Matt, start us off. It's not being taken seriously at all. No one is taking it seriously. And unlike literally every other time there was a change in Ferrari thought they might lose their favorite toys, I think that this might actually be a time for the for the negotiators to take them just a wee bit more seriously. Um, on the other hand, if you accept that what we heard last week and what, just by way of preview, we'll be talking about on Tuesday, what we're about to hear coming up is simply a start uh, is simply the start of negotiations. Then it's all very much up in the air, and Ferrari is simply staking out their claim. Although, if one reads Marchionne's words carefully, um, it's not as violent a threat as one might assume. He basically says, look, if you change the sport too much, it's not Formula One anymore. If it's not Formula One anymore, we don't need to be part of it. And in fact, we would go away and come up with an alternative that would probably be better. And that's an interesting thing to hear because it, it it mirrors a lot of conversations I know we've had in WhatsApp, I see going on on Twitter all the time, and, and even amongst the diehard fans. And I think we're going to be discussing that in a bit. But yeah, I would take them seriously, especially because with Marchione versus DeMonte Zimbolo, I believe that the amount of money that is flowing to Ferrari, the team, has changed. And I believe that they are being very much more required to live within whatever budget he has decreed for them. And if they lose their historic payments and stuff like that, then the cushy days are over for Ferrari. And they're not going to stick around and be uh, a Williams or a Force India or a Sauber or a Toro Rosso. They'll go off and do their own thing. Firstly, I agree with Matt on the sense that it's an empty threat. Um, However, let's say it was a real threat. And let's say Ferrari left. Everyone keeps talking about, you know, F1 is Ferrari and Ferrari is F1. I have never bought into that. What would F1 look like without Ferrari? Well, I'm pretty certain one of the VW group cars would jump straight into that slot um, and would very much revel that. Also, if Ferrari started their own series, who's going to want to enter a Ferrari-run series? Seriously, you stand no chance, apart from Alfa Romeo and Fiat. Um, I don't know who you talk about. Um, I think Ferrari exists because of Formula One, not the other way around. Matt. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, except for, oh, if, could I think, is there anybody out there with loads of experience running a top end motorsport series with absolutely nothing to do and billions and billions of dollars and lots of advertisers on top? Oh, wait. Yes. In fact, I think I can. And, in, and if I'm not mistaken, Probably fairly close ties to Ferrari at this point as well. Yeah, I, I don't see Ferrari running the series. I would see somebody like Eccleston running the series. And at that point, were such a thing to become a reality, you would have a you would you would have a proper challenger. And it would depend on the budgets and what's allowed. If the manufacturers are not going to get what they need once the current negotiations are ended and everything is set. Then yeah, they absolutely would try and find another series in which they could compete to get what they feel they need uh, in terms of their marketing. But, but would Bernie Eccleston be allowed to set up a competitor series to Formula One? I mean, surely that was part of the Liberty deal, and you know, technically, he is still an employee of Formula One. 
um, I would assume by time the new regulations come into play, whatever non-compete clause he might have had would probably have uh, hit its sunset, as it were. But then, well, it all depends on what's in the contract, wasn't it? If it's just something that lapses, or whether they've said you can never set up a, a, a competitor to Formula One. And you have to ask the question as well, would it be as successful as Formula One? Because I don't, I don't necessarily think it, it would. He's also 87 years old. Seriously, the guy's not got much longer left. With all the ways things have been going with other celebrities at the moment, he ain't, he's got a couple of years left on his calendar, and that's about it. Um, I don't see Bernie getting involved in that, if I'm honest. Well, I, I believe he still has the trademark on GP1, so I, I would think twice about that. He, I absolutely see him. He look look at the hand grenades he's lobbing the direction of Formula One right now. The man is bored out of his mind and just causing trouble. He needs a new project. This could clearly be it. Okay, Goldie, we're split down the middle. You get the casting vote. Well, I'm going to agree with with Miss Trumpets on this one because we had the threat from Demontezemolo a long time ago, and nothing came to fruition. Let's not forget. Of course, I have to go back to Jeansy's point about, you know, Ferrari is there because of Formula One. I mean, let's take into context another top tier series that I cover, the DTM. Now, who's pulling out at the end of 2018? Mercedes. Now, that's a big, big blow for them, but they're moving into another category, which fits their remit a lot easier. If Ferrari cannot get a competitive series that's going to go against uh, go to to war with Formula One, where else are they going to go? There's been talk about World Endurance Championship, LMP1, but that's never going to happen because they're busy winning in GTs. Um, so could it could it be taken seriously? I'd take it with a pinch of salt, but Marchioni is from the automotive world. And when you think about it, a lot of the budgets from these teams are coming from road car sales. Gone are the days, I think, in some respects, Race on Sunday, sell on Monday. Formula One isn't about road car technology, let's say. They're trying to bring it into context. But let's think about the fact that these these big manufacturers, Mercedes, Ferrari, are bringing a lot of coin to their profit margins, but also they're not using all of it into their motorsport program. So I'm sure that Ferrari could find a home outside of Formula One if they decided to quit, but it's dependent on... If they do go with a competing series, could it fall flat on its face? Do they decide to go into world endurance um, in the LMP1s, which are being more spec-orientated a bit more now with the 2020 regulations set for them to come in? It's difficult to say, but I'm not going to take Marconi's threat um, as a joke because I think, if he, uh, you know, as Matt was saying, them losing the historic payments could be a big blow to budgets. And when they're already trying to cut, you know, they've been trying for years to cost cap Formula One. Could the 2021 regulations be that point where they actually do something about it and say, guys, you need to stay, stick to it? Well, Who knows? Well, Matt, what are Ferrari's list of demands, as it were? Are, are we needing a, a Formula One that's more spec or with less spec parts? What are the, What are they after out of this? Well, it, it's not entirely clear because much like the uh, folks from Liberty, they're not exactly setting out bullet points of exactly what they need to stay in the sport. But I'd say in terms of engines, they view the proposed engine regulations as a step backwards. And I think in terms of the uh, increasing number of spec parts, they also view that as a step backwards. And Marchione's point was at at a certain level, you don't have Formula One anymore. In other words, what it is that makes Formula One Formula One disappears from the brand if we make it to NASCAR. If there's too much regulation of the engines, if there's too much regulation of the parts, it becomes expensive IndyCar. And we could just go race IndyCar for $10 million a year, uh, not $150 million a year. So there's no advantage uh, to being in Formula One at that point. Uh, it's like the old joke, you know, you buy the antique rocking chair and then the legs fall off. So you replace the legs and then the arms fall off. You replace the arms and the back falls off. You replace the back and then the chair, the seat breaks, replace the seat. You don't really have an antique rocking chair anymore. If you change too much about the sport, you have something that is no longer Formula One. And the, the interesting argument and the thing that will never be properly settled is where exactly is that line? 
probably different for each manufacturer. Okay, so that that brings up an interesting question then, is that, you know, how much specification can we get before Formula One loses its soul almost? Because as you, as I'm sure you probably talked about in your uh, trumpets time earlier this week, where you were talking about the engine regulations, you know, these are very much just a, a proposal at the moment. There's nothing really um, concrete. Um, so how much further do we adapt to that? If we use kind of what, what's on the table at the moment as a baseline, you know, is, is that, is that a, a good place to, to start? Or should there be more specification, less specification? What can we get away with? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I'd say in terms of chassis, there's probably some spec stuff that you can add without changing it. You need to have enough room for the designers to design uh, their own unique intellectual property and content and for the manufacturers to feel like it's their team and not somebody else's. In terms of the engines, yeah, I, I do believe, uh, again, where they are right now is uh, developing brand new engines, basically, based on the 1.6 liter architecture. And that is something we talked about sort of extensively on the, on the Tech Time show with Summers. But what's making the manufacturers unhappy about it is dropping the MGUH and going to the larger curves. Uh, there are some practical problems with it that we haven't seen a resolution of yet that you could just look at and say, well, okay, it's going to make things heavier and you're going to have less power. And so how are the cars going to go faster? These are all sort of practical issues, but one assumes the engineers will have worked out that solution and we just don't know what it is yet. But I think the manufacturers have spent a lot of time and money developing this MGUK, MGUH ICE symbiotic relationship, and it's become a technological hallmark of the series. I mean, they've achieved 50% thermal efficiency. It's unheard of in, in an internal combustion engine, uh, the amount of efficiency and power that they're getting. And I don't think they are keen to go to something that is less technologically advanced when they're trying to sell more technologically advanced road cars. I think they sort of see this as, as, as a problem. And also, uh, they don't want to spend the development budget over the last two years of the series and then have to compete with someone who who's only developing a single engine for 2021, given the amount of money that they've invested into the sport over the will have been over the last six years, um, uh, and, and even more if for uh, when they were in the VH that preceded this specification. The question I want to ask when you talk about all the changes and stuff that that Formula One needs to make is F1 really that broken? I mean. Have we not just seen this year, okay, it died off the last couple of races as far as failures are concerned, but have we not just seen one of the best seasons in F1? Are we not all of a sudden seeing a resurgence of Red Bull? Are we not seeing um, Force India actually getting much, much better? Are we not going to see in a couple of years a really, really good Renault team? So are we not actually on the brink, if we keep the regulations as they are, about to see something amazing but now we're going to change it so it's all going to go back to um the first topic again because every single time there's a reg change a gap forms every single time there's always a um the law of diminishing diminishing returns and if you let that peter out you'll get everyone to the same point is it that broken that's a really good point that you make alex because uh, i'm i'm going to take MotoGP as an example for about 10 years there was a stable set of regulations and it became the greatest racing series on the planet. No arguments. And like you say, with the regulation changes, we do get the the gaps forming. And this year it, it's come to, you know, at the end of the season, you've got the top three ten teams and quite a significant gap to the rest of the field. And of course that's going to converge uh, at some point when you get through to a, set, a stable set of regulations. But does it not seem like, at the moment, maybe the the biggest uh, issue in the sport is the engine regulations. Is is the engine the cause of this lopsided F1? Almost. I know Paddy Lowe uh, kind of disagrees with this um, point, but it does seem like we could get an even more competitive F1 with uh, with a, a more equal engine. 
well, surely they've got to, got to adjust again. We're getting to a point where, listen, Merck did an amazing. Everyone seems to think that the engine regs weren't weren't good. It's not the engine regs weren't good. It's just Merck did a phenomenally better job than any other manufacturer in the field, and it put them so far ahead. But there's not that big a gap now between Ferrari and Merck. And I think if it was left the same, they'd usurp that next year. Um, and Renault are even getting closer. I mean, look how fast the Red Bulls have been in the last few races. Look how much better that Renault is looking. Um, give it another couple of years, which obviously it's not going to get. And all of a sudden, you'd have three engines the same, just like the end of the V8 era. Right. So just to be clear, you're going to tell me that Formula One isn't broken because the top three teams are finally competitive with each other after uh, three years under the current regulations. And I couldn't disagree. In terms of the power units, especially, we have seen convergence. Renault is there, thereabouts. Even Honda, bless them, has made progress this year and not burning so many things down and blowing them up, which that's just a reference to your current national holiday, by the way. But where there exists a real problem is between the top three teams and everybody else. And I think that was a Patty Lowe comment that you were referencing earlier. And there, there is an issue. And the equation, basically, they're saying right now is about $50 million per second of lap time. And the spread between the spend at Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari versus, say, that at Force India is too large to allow any effective competition except for amongst the top three teams and then the, all the rest of the teams. And so we, we effectively have now a tiered competition. And I think the the real argument, and again, this will be something that we'll see going forward, my friend Jeansy, will be how do you reduce that gap so that teams from the midfield are closer uh, in terms of performance and actually have a chance at competing for podiums? Because if there's anything that's broken about Formula One right now, I think that's an agreement with Patty Lowe. I think that's really what it is. You've been watching F1 a a lot longer than I have. So answer me this question. When has there ever been more than three or four teams continuously battling at the top throughout the course of a couple of seasons in Formula One? I think you're misunderstanding my point. I'm not saying that there should be more than three or four teams battling at any one time. My point is, at this point, given the spread in budgets, it's always the exact same three teams. So there's no way, as good as Force India is, and I'd say on a point-per-dollar basis, they should be winning the championship right now. Force India will never finish anywhere near a podium if both Red Bulls, both Ferraris, and both Mercedes finish a race without crashing into each other or catching on fire. It's just not going to happen. Seventh is the best they're going to be able to do. And that's because of the inherent difference that the extra $250 million or so of budget has bought the three teams at the top. At the same, by the same token, they complain about how much money they have to spend to be there. So this, to me, is the low-hanging fruit. Not the engines, which have almost equalized. And let's not forget, the cost has come down from $20 million a season down to about 12 Now, the longer we don't muck about with the engines, presumably the cheaper they will be, especially if we go back and freeze them, as we did at the end of the V8 era. The cost will continue to drop. Okay, we, I really, really did wanted to stay away from the cost caps uh, in, in this episode because uh, I know that you, Matt, and Spanners uh, are going to be uh, talking about this with uh, former Lotus boss Matthew Carter in quite some detail on Tuesday. So we will uh, we'll, let's wrap up the cost capping uh, talk there uh, and uh, definitely go and check that out. It should be a uh, fantastic uh, episode. But definitely in, in terms of the convergence, you know, w- what we've ended up having, though, is a big aerodynamic shakeup in the middle of uh, uh, an engine shakeup. So, and we haven't, we haven't seen really anything about chassis and aero for 2021 when the new engines, uh, come in. So is the most likely scenario then we just end up with a bit of simpler aero and maybe, uh, they start allowing the teams to get and create downforce in, in other ways so that uh, we can maybe, you know, reduce this gap, um, to the front for a more, for a more consistent basis. All I want to see is them get rid of front wings. If front wings go, the whole series completely changes in regard to aero and... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Driving and racing or dependence on the front wing. Um, What was it, 2009, we had that automatically adjustable front wing? Oh, that was in, a great idea. What wasn't that expanded on? In 2010, you were allowed to adjust the front wing from inside the concept because it was original uh, inside the concept inside the cockpit. Because um, it was designed as an overtaking aid uh, originally, it failed as an overtaking aid, and that's why they got rid of it. But it was uh, it was a nice, it was a neat idea. I think, yeah, definitely something that is uh, something that was, definitely that is something that should be uh, brought back. And the tragedy of that was that was from the overtaking working group that actually Patty Lowe was part of, and I forget the other two people, but they did not fully institute the recommendations they had drawn up. And I, and I think, uh, or at least one hopes, that perhaps there will be a similar group that institutes similar recommendations. The most intriguing thing to me um, about the spec parts, is, uh, I know we're trying to get off of this, would be the um, developing... Um, a chassis where you could swap engines out. I think the series and Liberty have identified the cost of redeveloping the car when you change engine manufacturers as being perhaps an issue. And I think that is one area of the car they might be looking to standardize more. Um, so, and, and if you standardize the power unit enough, then you can standardize that as well. And then you don't have this issue of we have to make our engine decision by the end of July so that next year's car will be ready. Since you had asked that question, I just wanted to get back and answer it. No, no, I mean, that's that's great. And definitely the swappability of engines is something that is quite a relevant thing at the moment because McLaren are having to do a little bit of work now to fit the Renault unit for next season. And didn't they say that cost them like two months worth of development or, or something? Yeah, at least. Because um, when the back end of the car changes... Everything attached to the back end of the car changes the floor, uh, the wing, just the it, it's it's a messy process and you have to think about it well in advance. OK, well, does anyone have any final thoughts on uh, where we're at? Two tier formula is Formula One broken? Let's answer the question. Is Formula One broken? Let's can we can we answer that? I like question it. I like it as it is. I've really enjoyed this season. I do have it's to say it's the first it's one that's really great. taken taken my attention, and I, I I thought the Mexican Grand Prix was a good good one. There's been you know races up and down this season that I have thoroughly enjoyed because of the changes of. I mean, when we when we went to Australia and we had Roman Grosjean going through that very uh, fast left hander just after the back straight. And that literally took me by surprise how much lateral grip that car had through the corner. I was like, great, they're actually going through corners faster than they did last year. That caught my interest. But yeah, some of the Grand Prix we've had this season have been really interesting. And with the way that the cars look look now as well, I really like them. Um, And, you know, the fact that we're having some great races, that's another big thing. The change in aero has spiced things up, up and down the field. Okay, Red Bull were on the back foot, but now we've got Verstappen doing well, uh, Ricardo doing well. So I've really been enjoying it. 
Um, yeah, I was going to say that, to be fair, over the last 10 years, I think we've had the best racing in the last 10 years than we have. Lots of people have rose-tinted glasses on and think, oh, the 80s and the 90s were great because we've only seen a few of those races. I'd love to actually re-watch an entire season from back in those days, and I bet so many of them processional. And people just miss out, miss out on it and just only see the highlights and the amazing things that did happen in the odd race. I look forward to 20 years time when the lot, when this last 10 years comes in on highlight reels and we go, wow, wasn't it great back in the noughties and the teenies? I will certainly look back on, especially 2007 to 2012 as a halcyon period of um, Formula One. Uh, definitely you know 2013 and 14 throw that in there as well definitely the last couple of years i think formula one's uh, dropped the ball um a little bit but this year you know i kind of went into this year with with the attitude of it's going to be make or break with formula one and it's definitely made it again you know i like you were saying after that first uh race i got really excited about formula one um again and I still am because, you know, even though the championship's already been decided, um, that's definitely not how it was meant to go at all. And we do still have two really interesting races in prospect in um, Brazil and, and Abu Dhabi. And we'll be talking a little bit uh, about Brazil in uh, a few moments um, time. Um, but definitely, I, yeah, I don't I let's say if I don't think Formula One is broken, I think it has issues. Uh, definitely, you know, the gaps between the top three teams and the rest of the field needs to come down um, a little bit, but that will come just with natural development and uh, the cost capping. I know we're not supposed to talk about it, but let's throw that into the mix because it is a fact. And uh, then I think we'll have a pretty, pretty good formula. Uh, And, and definitely I, I think 2019 and 2020, they'll be very, very, very exciting years um, for formula one. Let's catch up with the panel. A little bit before we move on to our next news item. Goldie, what have you been up to? Well, funny enough, when uh, Lewis Hamilton was about to line up on the grid to uh, go for his fourth Formula One world title, I was uh, funny. I was, I was actually, I was actually commentating at um, an old venue he used to race at as a carter, Rye House. So I was there for the 2017 London Cup. Um, been busy commentating, busy doing other things. I know that. Spanner says I'm a tin top apologist, mate. I love tin tops just as much as I, lo- as I love Formula One. So don't worry, I'm the uh, I'm the tin top unapologist. But yeah, lots of things happening. Um, already in talks with people about 2018 for commentary. Uh, but of course, yeah, still loving being on Miss Apex as always, mate. No, oh, that's 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 really great to hear. And you know, it does sound like you've got a busy 2018 um, lined up, which is it sounds very exciting. So all the best um, with thank you, mate. That. No, absolutely. Um, next point on the agenda. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the battle at Force India uh, between Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon. Definitely been one of the highlights of the season um, for me. Of course, in recent races, they've not been allowed to uh, battle each other. They've been told to hold station because they've cost the team a little bit too much money in repairs um, this year. But now that they have secured fourth in the championship, they're going to let them race. Again, I mean, this has got to be this has got to be a, a great thing for these last two races, Matt. Oh yeah, you, you know it is on. Perez is so irritated right now because Ocon has had the best of him over the last couple of races, and he's like, "I swear, I'm faster," and they're like, "Nope, sorry." And it's an interesting dichotomy because as they continue to amass championship points, of course, their entry costs them more and more. I think it's what is it around five thousand or so per championship point. So one wonders if there's an arbitrage where at a certain point it's cheaper to let them crash each other out and provide spectacle for the race and sponsorship uh, exposure than it is to uh, actually let them finish well up the field as they've been doing the last couple of races. I'm considering putting money on the fact that Ocon, because of this lift of um, not being able to fight each other, loses his finishing every single race, especially in the points um, 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 title that he seems to have. Those two are so going to hit each other. And it's probably going to be at turn one in Brazil and it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> it is just a really exciting prospect. And especially because they're, the team are going to be throwing on some, quote, riskier parts for these final two races because they've got nothing left to, um, to, to lose. You know, the championship is, is done for them. And th- why not throw some, some more aggressive uh, parts and upgrades if they're, um, 
if they're going to be uh, put on the car for 2018, especially, it will help them start next year uh, stronger, then I, I think we've got a, a really interesting couple of uh, races lined up at Force India. And anything to add for that? Or is that a, a slam dunk on this one? Uh, can I just can I just say this? I hope that Ocon slam dunks Perez quite spectacularly in terms of finishing because he's managed to do it most of the season, apart from Spa when they both uh, nearly came a cropper and Ocon hit the wall going into Eau Rouge. But yeah, I'd like to see that Ocon gets the better better of Perez in the le- next couple of races. I was just going to highlight a contribution from the chat room from Philip Allen who points out quite rightly that the real competition is for sixth place in the constructors where we have Taro Rosso on 53 points, followed by Renault on 48 and Haas on 47. So if there's a place to be looking in Brazil, if you want some real championship excitement, have a look at those teams this weekend because they will be under maximum pressure to deliver. And James Funnel in the chat room saying that apparently it's predicted for rain next week, which is always brilliant, um, especially at Brazil, because we've seen some wonderful races there in the rain. Um, last year, 2007. 2007, that was a good one. I remember that one. 2007 wasn't... Eight, eight, eight even. Yeah, there God, I've drunk too much of this red wine now. I'm checking <laughs> out. Of course, 2003 is the one that sticks in a lot of people's minds uh, as a particularly crazy race uh, on on that um, occasion we will preview the brazilian grand prix in just a moment's time firstly i, I want to talk about max verstappen because there was a quote from him after the mexican grand prix that sort of slightly disappointed me um and it was that you know he he basically said that he would rather dominate races such in the fashion that he did in in mexico rather than tussling away and battling for position and winning races um that way and he he pointed out that dominating a race is the uh the best form of winning uh which i can see his stand on that i mean jeansy as a racing driver you must surely appreciate you know dominating um a race but the quote he said afterwards was overtaking is definitely nice but to me it's something that is not necessary and as coming from one of the most you know aggressive drivers on the track when it comes to wheel-to-wheel action that's quite a surprising thing for him to say jeansy that comment staggers me and i hadn't heard that until just before we went live that absolutely staggers me because yes it is very nice to win by a long long way i had a great race last year at daytona where after eight laps i won by 17 seconds and it felt awesome however there's still no better feeling than actually when you've really, really fought for a win. So especially if someone as racy as Max and someone who pulls no punches like Max does, it really does stun me that he's he said that. And I hope it's a misquote because I'd hate for him to think that oh, racing is not really where it's at. Well, it was from Autosport, so I don't I wouldn't have thought so. Um, oh well, they would they would never misquote because they are a fine, fine publication. What are you trying to say, Jeansy? I'm being honest. They are a fine publication. They employ the highest quality people. They do. Me. (laughs) And you. Yeah, and me. (laughs) Oh, dear. But, I mean, mean, just answer me this, Jeansy. Would you rather win Bahrain 2014 or Mexico 2017? For me, it's Bahrain because that had me on the edge of my seat. And there's no better thrill than when you get out of the out of the car out of the cart whatever you're in and you've had an epic battle with someone you respect a lot um and you're like wow wasn't that an amazing battle um however there is that slight part of every single racing driver that likes to lord over their superiority a perfect example was senna at monaco what year was it goldie you'll know what year that was when he binned it at monaco Oh, in 88. 88. 88. Yeah. 88 you know, when he was, he nearly lap Prost in the process. Yeah. He wasn't interested in just winning that race. He wanted to embarrass Prost. Um, but it's still the biggest thrills come from racing. Okay. Well, Matt, are we making a big fuss out of nothing here or do you agree with us? Uh, you're making a big fuss about nothing. I don't know exactly what he meant. I didn't catch the quote, but I, I would be certain that no matter what they say to the contrary, that at the level of Formula One, with that much money and that much pressure involved, most drivers secretly will be very happy if at the end of lap one they've already la- uh, they're already halfway ahead, uh, a half a lap ahead of everybody else, and just have to bring the thing home in one piece. 
Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense to me just as a professional. His job is to win races. His job isn't to to fight everybody else to win races. His job is just to win. And that's the simplest expression of him winning. But also, I think Jeansy really nailed it. When you talk about dominating, that's what everybody wants to do. You don't merely want to win. You want to demonstrate how much more superior you are than everyone else on the track. And yeah, that can be kind of fun, too. That is a good point you make, because when you go to work, you don't hope that everyone else is almost just as good as you, and it becomes a really tense thing of like, oh, who's going to get a promotion or not? You want to dominate everybody in your office, or whatever workspace you may happen to be working in. That's about it for the news on this one. Before we talk about Brazil, Jeansy, what have you been up to? Tell us, uh, share your adventures with us um hello yeah so i've been doing a bit of racing recently it took, i was out for about four or five months um i've been doing the last four rounds of the cough cart series and considering that this round is sponsored by daytona the next round of cough cart is at daytona and milton Keynes, my favorite circuit and i've just been looking at my calendar and realize it clashes with something family related which is causing me some stress you know what uh, you've so- got to do Jeansy, ditch well, the family. It's later in the afternoon, so I might be able to get my races done and get out of there. It's only three races, so I should be all right. But yeah, literally figured that out as I was preparing for the podcast. So I haven't even spoken to the wife about that. Anyway, um, but no, I'm having a good season, to be fair. In the four races, I say season, I'm having a good few races in the four races I've done. Um, in the four races I've done at the heavyweights, I'm sixth highest scorer in the last four rounds. Um, I'm 14th in the championship, but I've missed three of the nine rounds. So um so yeah, so it's it's I'm enjoying it seven rounds. So I'm really really enjoying it at the moment. Uh, that's Covcart Sport. They do loads of stuff all around the country. It's um, it's really really good. So um, yeah, that's what I've been up to really. Apart from that, and selling boilers, not the box behind your head, but um, selling boilers nonetheless. I don't need to buy no boilers. I mean, I, I've just got to ask. Yeah, how much better do you think you'd be doing if you weren't sipping on that red wine, for example? Well, the weight category i'm obviously in the heavyweights obviously in the heavyweights category which starts at 80 kilos last race i weighed in at my heaviest which was 99 kilos i shudder to think where i'd be if i was running at 80 85 kilos i'd definitely be fighting at the front with the um guy tollies and the chris Daneses of the world um however much chris would hate me saying that because he thinks he'd destroy everybody but that's chris danes for you i, I was we, gonna we say, all love him for it i was gonna say is he still as grisly as ever with that beard of his no, it's gone. Beard's gone. No. It's coming back a bit, but the beard's, the beard's gone. But that's me. No, well, that's good to hear. And in your defense as well, you're quite a tall guy as well. You got that. You go, okay, you're shaking your head, but you're taller than me, and I'm above average height. So <laughs> I'm five foot nine and a bit. You're five not five ten. nine and a I'm bit. Because I'm, fi- I'm five ten, and you're taller than me, so you must be about six foot. Someone's He's not lying much to you. No. He is not much. I can I can guarantee this because Jeansy and I met at BRKC earlier on this year, and he's just a fraction above me. I'm five eight. I'm not that tall. Like I've, I haven't even got that excuse. I'm no DC or JB. While we're talking about beards, actually, Hannah Hassel's pointing in the championship uh, in the championship in the chat room. Um, <laughs> if we're talking about beards, I must be staying silent, um, which is a fair comment, to be honest. Right, the Brazilian Grand Prix. What do we think is going to happen? Philip Allen's already come into the chat room and said he's seeing, uh, foreseeing a lot of uh, carbon fiber spread about at um, turn one. Um, Matt, kick us off. Mercedes or Ferrari or Red Bull? Even who's going to be the quicker team there? Well, it's going to be uh, probably down to the temperatures as much as anything else. But I'd have to say, based on the last couple of races, it's going to be more like how 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 will Mercedes try and preserve its ability to win? But you'd have to say, looking at qualifying, um, outside of qualifying, Ferrari and Red Bull are the interesting story here and not so much Mercedes. Although you do have Valtteri going for P2 in the championship. So that could in, induce a bit of a wrinkle, but I, I think I think Red Bull really is the one to watch, and whether or not Ferrari can get ahead of them. Because we're looking at another high altitude um, track, aren't we? And that certainly helped the Renault-powered cars in terms of 
performance as has been kind of tradition in the in the turbo hybrid era it's whether they can match the reliability which they very much admitted they got wrong in mexico and that's why they had so many um, failures and issues with the toro rossos and um the the renaults and of course on daniel ricardo's car um as well uh, and of course the chat room has already um jumped in there and said that we're expecting some some rain on saturday which could spice things up a bit um surely that's going to be a, a real mix up for the grid uh, a lot, i think a lot of people would back hamilton for pole position um in that case as well and certainly not ferrari given their performances at at monza in the wet qualifying yeah no i think you'd have to absolutely say that uh, in light of a wet qualifying the positions on sunday would be lewis hamilton defending vigorously from attacking Vettel and Verstappen and probably Ricciardo as well from behind. And boy, what a sight that would be. And all the while trying to get Valtteri into position two in the world championship for the drivers. Yeah, Spanners has uh, asked in the, the chat room. He has joined us um, now just as a chat room lurker. Um, but he has asked, and there are quite a few opinions coming in uh, about whether or not Lewis might help Valtteri to second in the um, championship. Of course, he's not going to give up a win for Valtteri, but might he just deliberately back up a little bit if Vettel were behind him to to uh, put some wake in Vettel's way? I think Lewis learned his lesson from letting Seb get, uh, not Seb, letting Nico get, uh, get his feet under the table at the end of 2016. Um and getting a run onto winning the title. So I think Lewis will want to win every single race. He's also got Schumacher's 91 wins in his sights now. It's well achievable in the next five years for him, if he stays five years, which I think he could do. I think it's well achievable for him to match Schumacher. Such a bizarre thing, isn't it? I mean, the, you, you see these records being um, built, especially one like Schumacher's, which, you know, you look at for the second most wins in, in Formula One, and it's way, way off. Uh, what what Schumacher um, did, and you you look at it and you think that's never going to get beaten, and all of a sudden we are looking at uh, Lewis Hamilton potentially um, beating that record. Of course, I suppose that depends what Ferrari, uh, Red Bull, uh, throw McLaren and Renault in there for good measure. What they have to offer over the next um, five or, or six years until until Lewis retires. But um, Matt, I know you mentioned the uh, battle for sixth in the championship, uh, Red, uh, Renault and Toro Rosso. Surely between the two of them, you'd say that Renault is the one with the advantage based on recent performances. I'd say Renault is the one with the advantage based on recent acquisitions, that specifically of Carlos Sainz. I mean, wow, what a difference he's made to the team. And imagine if both he and Hulkenberg finished the same race, which, uh, by the way, I would also tip as the other driver's battle to watch if they can both get into the race and properly go at it. Finally, oh, how I've been waiting for that to happen. Who do you think would come out on top in, in that scenario? I have to go with Carlos Sainz just because I use number 55 as well. Oh, do you? I'm still waiting for somebody to use number 38 in Formula One. Why? Because that's my number. Mm, enjoy the wait. It's the one well, It's the one I use when I'm playing racing games anyway. Jeansy, were you trying to get in there? No, I'm just laughing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you race. <laughs> um, actually, when you talk about the whole wins thing, um, Lewis is on 62. If he stays for five years... Actually, forget that. Could you see in the next five years Lewis winning between five and six races a year? Definitely. That seems achievable. 5.8 races every single year for the next five years, and he equals Schumacher. I see that as achievable. Definitely. It depends if Lewis wants to stick around for those five years. I've, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've heard rumors for left and right all saying very very different things that lewis wants to to stay for a really long time other people say that he doesn't want to, he wants to basically get out at the end of next year maybe even uh when his contract expires just some of the things you end up hearing is is really um really interesting uh, and i'm almost kind of picturing what formula one without lewis hamilton would be it would be like because that is a an, an odd prospect if max wasn't up and coming I could see him retiring in the next couple of years. I think he wants to put young whippersnapper Max Verstappen in his place. 
there's definitely been some words toing and froing between the Red Bull duo and, and, and Lewis, especially some of the ones I've been seeing on um, Autosport, which is that, you know, Verstappen, he can come in and, and beat uh, Lewis and that he'll have to raise his game. Uh, maybe Lewis does want to put them, them in their place. Or, you know, I, I think personally, and I think you guys might will probably back me up on this, is that a Verstappen-Hamilton battle, throw Vettel and uh, maybe even uh, throw an Alonso in there for good measure as well. How amazing would 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 that be? That would be Nirvana. That would stop everybody moaning about F1. You have Alonso, Hamilton, Ricardo and Max and Seb battling it at the front. What what series has got that kind of competition at the front with some of the best drivers in the world? I would absolutely love to see that. James Fennell in the chat room says, let's just say Lewis Hamilton won't be doing a Raikkonen. Well, hmm. what, do you, what do you know that we don't, James? Uh, let's catch up with the, the last panel member, Matt Trumpets. You've got something very, very exciting to be uh, talking about this week. Yes, yes, I do. I, I know I've been flogging the um, the album, Nightscapes, that I'm planning to do. And we finally have a live page on Indiegogo. That means if you are hearing me now, you can go directly to Indiegogo, search up Nightscapes, and give me as much money as you can possibly afford to make my album. You can give me little, you can give me lots, I don't really care, but it's very exciting and vaguely terrifying to have the thing actually in operation now because it means that I have to, of course, follow through and make an actual album, which is its own particular nightmare. And I believe we also have to mention um, that everybody needs to follow Mist Apex, or is it Spanners Ready? Who do they need to follow, Chris? Well, I was uh, just getting onto that. Spanners has asked me for uh, a plug on his Twitter, at Spanners Ready, so that he, and this is his words, not mine, so that he can feel like a hashtag superstar or whatever. So yeah, Can I, can I just to... add another um, hashtag to this? Go for, on. Your, for your benefit, of course, Spanners. Hashtag delusions of grandeur, my friend. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Because you're not here, mate. You're not here. Yeah, how do you expect to be getting followers if you're not even going to bother turning up for the show? Of course, while you're on Twitter, do go and follow at MissedApexF1 on Twitter as well for all the information on uh, live streams for all the upcoming shows. And we do have a lot of upcoming shows. But before before I talk about what's coming up this week, Matt Trumpets, tell us what is... Comment of the week. All right, well, I'm scrolling back through and I think... Philip Allen at the top of the show with here's me thinking Honda have been celebrating bonfires all year. Uh, Robin Van Dyke sponsorship dollars really an issue when they already have stroll. And then I'm afraid lots of personal insults for our hosts. Hannah Hassel. That's true. At Chris Stevens face fuzz must go. And James Fennell face furniture removed or no entry. I think they're talking about the Slack group. And then I believe if we're talking beards, Stevens must say silence. And then finally, our very own Missed Apex podcast, I think in referring to your race number, his waist size. Ouch, that hurts. That is, hey, there's, there's, Jeansy is the, the one we're making weight jokes about, not me here. That's, that's cruel. And the face furniture will be staying. I can guarantee you that just because you all hate it so much. And I like annoying you all. Right, Matt, which of those got comment of the week? Yes, well, I think I'm going to have to go with Philip Allen. Here's me thinking Honda have been celebrating bonfires all year for his very topical reference. Well done, mate. That is... Comment of the week. Do stay tuned on our feed for Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Monday. And as we mentioned earlier, former Lotus boss Matthew Carter is going to be talking to Trumpets and Spanners on Tuesday, keep an eye out for Tech Time with Matthew Summerfield as usual. And of course, our Brazilian Grand Prix race review on Sunday. Until then, just remember that while wounds may heal, chicks don't necessarily dig scars and glory only lasts for about five minutes. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.